Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. So because we've been having so many guests lately, we wanted to do a sort of grab bag episode featuring all of your wonderful questions. So let's go. Uh, But before we dive into your questions, we're going to talk about our weeks or what we like to call adventures in screenwriting. Lorian, how was your week? Big week big week. So I started on a show this week and I also had a long planned vacation. So I went away to my vacation, which was like a by myself vacation and worked the whole time, but it was great because I was working very hard to get my show set up. So, um, your show running a show, I'm I'm show running a show. And, uh, I had to staff very quickly and I found amazing writers. And I did want to talk a little bit about, um, what it's like to staff a show and what happens in the process. Yeah, um, great. Um, so, you know, I'm looking for a specific group of people, each with a different set of skills and who each brings something to the table. And I just want everyone to know, like, if you submit your scripts and you don't get a call, it doesn't mean your script was bad. It doesn't mean it wasn't great or amazing. It just means that it didn't connect for that show or that showrunner in that moment. And if you do get staffed, it's because you're part of the puzzle of that story room math. And it's not, it doesn't just come down to who's the best writer and who's the person the showrunner connects to the most. It's really about a whole bunch of different components. And it's not just the showrunner making the decision. There's producers involved, there's a network involved. And so it's a very complicated sort of puzzle. And like, if some group of your writers don't get approved by the network, you have to go back and re-strategize the whole room, right? And re-put it back together. So I guess if you don't get staffed, please don't take it personally. You know, the showrunner, if you had a good meeting, will keep you in mind for something else. I mean, that's what I'm doing. Um, So it was a really good education for me in terms of that process, you know, that, So it was great and it's been a lot of fun and I've gotten to read so many great scripts and what I really am responding to is a point of view, that voice that we're talking about. So, cause when I read a script and it has a strong point of view, I feel like I know you. I feel like I know what you're gonna bring to the table. And it's not the subject matter necessarily, it's the lens through which you're telling the story is what I'm responding to. And I think, oh, this person's really good at like, funny and sweet, but has the little edge. Like maybe that's what I'm looking for. And that's why voice is so important, right? I need structure. I need funny. I need sweet. I need heart. Like I need this combination and it's in your script that I'm able to see if you bring what I need. And then I meet with you and see if your personality matches mine and the room and the energy, but it's a very complicated process. And one that I don't think I fully understood until I really had to do this by myself so quickly. Um, but yeah, so that's what I've been doing. Um, it's Those been small great. Things. Just that, just, just that. that. It's really fun. I'm really excited. I'm really tired. <laughs> I wake up on my own naturally now at 6 a.m. Like, let's go, let's do it. You know, Get stuff to do. it is a full-time 24 hour a day job. I could be working 
every single hour of the day and never go to bed and still there'd be plenty of stuff to do on my plate. Um, so yeah, that's what I've been up to this week. Lori, can I ask, sorry, super quick, just another staffing question. Like, do you feel like as you're staffing, you're looking for writers that only are writing in the genre of the show you're producing, or could it be like, like, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, but. Right. So the genre, it's really important, I think, to everyone involved that the person has experience in the genre that you're staffing for. Like if it's a preschool show, you've worked on a preschool show. If it's a dark comedy, you've worked in that space. But so yes, that's valuable. But I'm, I'm really wanting to read original samples because um, that tells me your voice. That tells me a little bit more about who you are. So yes, I want to read your you know, the episode that you had that aired on a preschool show or some other kind of show, but I also want to read your original sample, even if it has swearing in it and I'm staffing for a preschool show, right? It's, it, it's not one-to-one, right? That makes sense. How do you, how do you, if you have to have experience to get on staff, how do people ever get on staff? So, um, some people I was reading have been a writing assistant or a script coordinator on that kind of show. And so I look at that experience too. Um, some people have been producers, you know, in a different capacity. Um, and yeah, so it's that, and it's also about how the room is built, right? I need at least one really experienced person, right? right. Someone who can run the room in my absence, if I have to step out for a meeting and someone who I know can like help maybe mentor someone who's not as experienced. I don't want everyone who's at the same level. I want to have sort of different experiences and different um, levels because that's how you have new perspective and new points of view, right? First time staffer is going to have such a different energy than someone that's been doing this for 15 years. Right, right, right. Um, But it is such a good question. How do you get in the room without experience? And it's sort of, I probably have one spot to take a risk on somebody who was a writer's assistant or a script coordinator or has done a few freelance episodes. Yeah, that I got my first job on a show because they really liked, I was working with a partner at the time, they really liked our sample, which again was original, but the, the, the studio was not ready to put people who had no experience on this show. They just wanted every, they were nervous about it. So they gave us, eventually they found out they had too many episodes for the number of writers they had. And so they gave us a spec episode, which means just come in for the day, see where it's coming and going, go write your episode. And from that, now the studio feels confident to put us on the show. So that's another way you can get in is even if you don't have experience, if that showrunner likes you, maybe they can give you a freelance episode later. And you know, in light of this amazing news, Lorian, like, first of all, we're so excited. And I hope it doesn't sound condescending for me to say I'm like so proud of you. Like, I know you're going to kick ass on this show and I love your voice as a writer and you're such a good leader too. So I just can't wait to see you show run. But I think the flip side of that is we may or may not have a little bit of a bumpy schedule over the next five weeks for good reason. So, you know, if we repeat an episode or do a rerun, all of you know, it's for good reason. I mean, I'm also in pre-production on a film that's, shooting in August. So just everyone know that we'll do everything we can to get episodes up, but uh, it is going to be a crazy time for all of us. Which is fantastic. Yes. Which is amazing news. Yes. Amazing news. I love it. I'm also I hope still... to be lounging at a beach. And on the yes. <laughs> I'm also still in development on my other show and yeah. working on getting my original show set up with a producer. So somehow I still have to work on all that stuff. So I can't yes. What I don't have time to do, which I'm kind of bummed about, is write anything. Like my brain is just, 
in a different place. I hope to get to the point where I can start noodling with something, but really focusing on driving forward the projects I sort of have in motion. Yeah, yeah so. I want to talk to that about that today with some of our questions in terms of you do have to be your own driver, your own strategist, your own. That's not something that anybody, you know, does for you at, at some point. Um, so Meg, oh. how was your week? <laughs> uh, my week was great because my sister was in town with her son uh, who's in his 20s and they were awesome. But I did still have to keep working. Uh, I, it just wasn't possible for me to not work while they were here. I was unable to do my sprints, which I've been really enjoying. Now there's so many great people on there. I've been jumping on to say, go, keep going. Yay, yay, yay. And then I jump off because I don't have time to write because I have these pages due. So I am getting up at 6 a.m. to write, but I'm getting up to like just power through uh, these pages. And I do think that happens sometimes. I mean, I know it happens with me for diets all the time, but where you're like, I am going to write every day. And then you do. And then life interrupts. Uh, something big happens with your family or a new project comes in or work gets crazy. And that is just life. I think people beat themselves up so much that then that's why they don't go back. And it's very self-defeating. And so what I'm trying to do right now, because I feel the inside pressure of, oh my gosh, I'm not doing my passion project. And, you know, everybody knows from this podcast, I was starting to doubt its viability on the market. So now look, I have to work. I can't do it. Like suddenly it's getting very kind of coincidental. Um, so I have promised myself that on Monday, when these pages are done, I am getting back up at six and I am going to sprint again. Like I've, I've set a date and a deadline for myself. Um, the script I'm writing, the good news is it's super fun. It's so fun that I sent my manager an, an email saying, I'm having such fun writing this that I'm sure it sucks. <laughs> it must suck because it should not be this fun <laughs> to write a script. So I must be doing something wrong. And he thought that was very funny and said it might, or it might not just keep going. Um, I feel like I need to be layering much quicker than I am, but whatever, you know, I put a, a post up on the Facebook group, a visual post of you know, where the artist started with their sketch versus with that famous painting or building that, you know, and I feel like I'm way back at the sketch stage, but I'm having fun. So whatever. Right. Um, I definitely had a blank page moment this morning as I'm getting close to the end of act two and she's got to make her mistake. And I know everything about it from my outline barf draft of what I want this mistake to be, but I don't know what it is. And I had that moment of like, paralysis. And I was like, I don't know. And my left brain is screaming. I don't know. I don't know what it is. And I was, and when I get stuck, sometimes I go to the Facebook page and answer questions. So I just get my brain going. But the problem with that is it's so my left brain. To like, what do I know? Exactly. Right? I, I do to, know this. I do know this. I've been here before. Oh, right. But it was fun because Sam posted something about notes and getting notes and he said that he sent his, um, producer a little note saying listen you got to give me the good stuff too and within that he talked to his producer about that we all as writers have to create a delusion of this works <laughs> as you're writing and I was like oh my god that's so true because right now I'm the delusion is breaking because I don't know how to do this so suddenly I'm worried that the whole thing doesn't work and what I did to approach that is I was like I'm just going to dream because I realized no my left brain doesn't know but my right brain might. And if I don't just start writing, like literally my fingers on the freaking keyboard and let the dream come, let the right side go, put that left side away. And I just started dreaming as if like seeing the movie in front of me, like I'm not gonna judge what it is. I'm not gonna say what's happening. 
if it makes no sense, I'm just going to write it. And all of a sudden something came up and I was like, oh my God. Like I felt such deep emotion about what the dream that came of what she's doing that I was like, oh, this is why my left brain was screaming. I don't know. Because there's actually something, some lava down here. <laughs> and I don't even know if it's right. And it doesn't matter because it was such a, it was such a great experience to let the dream and the right brain bring up bring the story to me. And it was much deeper and more emotional than my left brain could have ever gotten to. Um, so just again, let the dream come and it doesn't have to be in a barf draft stage. It could be as you've barfed, you've outlined, now you're moving through, but you hit that block. You gotta go back to dreaming. Um, and the last thing I wanted to say, which kind of gets us into our questions a little bit is there were two things came up on the Facebook page um, that I wanted to talk about real quick because there are different questions, but I thought they actually underneath have a same core possible possible thing just to get us into our questions, which is um, uh, there was a question about my manager isn't responding. Have I overwhelmed my manager? How do you do this? How do you get feedback? How do I how do I know um, that I'm doing what I'm that I'm valuable as a writer? Basically, is underneath that. And um, somebody else was asking about um, that they didn't make the finals in the screen uh, screencraft contest, but it's their first script and they got in the top 10%, right? Which is freaking amazing. My response was my first script's in my drawer over here, right? So, but I think underneath both of those questions is sometimes you just have to see what works and keep going. Like I just did this morning, right? Like, okay, you didn't get in the contest. Your manager isn't responding. Guess what? You gotta keep going. Um, there's tools you can use, go back to your tools. But I thought that underneath both of those was a look, which we all do, it, a looking for outside validation. And I saw this great play once, which of course I don't remember the author of because I have a Swiss cheese memory for names. And in it, he talked about Hollywood being full of unlicked cubs. Which, and I remember even in the play, everybody was like, you could feel this kind of truth in that, that artists, I think, are often unlicked cubs who want to say, this is how I see the world. This is how my reality see me. I exist or listen to how the, the world appears to me. Listen to my experience of the world. And in doing that, there's a need for validation back of how you see the world how you're, you know, and, and that your value somehow gets really attached to that. And it's tricky, right? Because on one hand, you have to be vulnerable and open and put all that lava and your guts into your work, right? That you have to do that. You have to open yourself to that. We talk about it's what Lori is talking about. She wants to hear a voice. But then the other side of that is you have to have, you have to build up the muscle of having the grit to just keep going when, even when you don't get the validation, you, it's not coming. The parent is not coming to lick the cup because that is not what the Hollywood is set up to do. Hollywood is not set up to give you validation. It's set up to sell shit, right? Like it's set up, yes, to Moon Academy Awards and all of that, right? Everybody's here, everybody, everybody wants to make something great, everybody, right? Even the people who are making schlock came here to make something great. Um, but the, you're in a system now with a manager or a contest or a blah, blah. Those, are, those are part of a system, right? Those are cogs in this giant game that we're playing. So you have to always, I always wanna take a breath and figure out 
what do I need? And if I need something that this system is not built to give me, I need to go get that somewhere else from my husband or I call Lorian or whatever, right? You need to have your group and your support for that because you have to get vulnerable. You have to stay open, but just understand that, that you're in a process, right? That is a business process. Um, so those are just, that was just something I saw underneath two questions. I mean, Lorraine, what do you, I mean, my, do, you, do you agree? I totally disagree? agree. And your job to make a great show is to be vulnerable, is to open up to the story, is to, that is the job. And you're looking for writers who are willing to do that and go in a room with you and tell the funny jokes and do all the other stuff you need to do, but also bring something uh, organic and beautiful. And that is, it is hard sometimes to flip back and forth in those parts of your brain. It, it can be challenging. And I think part, a big part of it is blue sky is great, but sometimes you don't have time to blue sky. Sometimes, you know, I have to show and be like, here's what we can do. And we need to come up with something amazing and emotional with a great story with these realities, right? This is the budget. These are the constraints. So within this, right is what we're gonna come up with. And that's the business part. That's the, right? And so it's easier to do that, of course, when you're working on a show and you have someone telling you what those are by yourself, it's a little different, right? But that's the business part. And that is the business, but when you get notes, you might be getting those parts, right? Like yes. you've got two, three genres in here. I don't know what this is or um, who's your main character or- Right, well, who's the audience? Like, the right. audience, is, the going audience? To is going to bring you some of those things and you have to, understand that you are in a process of communicating a story and then add in the business. You know, I always love it. I love, I love going into a room where you have parameters because I see it like a game. Suddenly it's just a game. Like how, how the hell do we do this? What could, you know, yeah. I like having like parameters. So I'm trying actually. to figure out what all of those are before we go in the room so I can start out like, here's what they are. So let's play in this box here in this yeah. sandbox so that it's really clear. Um, I think it was Ed Solomon who was saying that like at a certain point in the process of production, the writing does become solving problems. It becomes creative problem solving. Yeah. And like when you talk about these parameters, that's where I am right now where like locations are falling through and that's okay. I mean, that's all part of it. And 12 days is feeling shorter than it was when I was dreaming about this, you know, 95 page feature, but that's okay because that is the journey. It's like, how can I ex how can I solve this problem in a way that feels fun and creative and inspiring and not like a chore or like I'm digging up dead bodies or something like that. Or that it has some reflection on you. Like, mm -hmm. And this is the point I really want to make today. Like, it's not like, well, because your location fell apart, some part of your brain can panic and be like, that's because I suck and right. this whole thing sucks and I'm not a director and why did I ever try this? Mm -hmm. blah, 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 right? I get that. That's the amygdala firing because it's scared and they're going to die. But in fact, it's just the universe creating with you. I, that's how I look at it. The universe is having a conversation now. It's right. taking part of this story over and it's going to start communicating with you. And as long as you can stay with your rudder of why you love this, then start, it's totally fine. I was on set once as a direct, as a producer and <laughs> the line producer walked up to us and was like, um, okay, we've gone over too many days. So you have to lose the scene. And I was like, what? And they were like, <laughs> Here's all the scenes we haven't shot yet. <laughs> Go talk to Jane, who was the writer director and find out, come back and tell me which scene aren't we doing? <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I took Jane in the trailer and she was great. Thank God for some director, poor thing. She was like, what? I'm like, okay, this is just how it is. You know, this is a low budget feature man. So what scene are we cutting? And we just quickly went through the scenes and realized, oh wait, this scene here in the hall, actually the same information is given over here. Yeah. So we can cut that, put that little piece that isn't here and put it in here. We can do this. And it totally was fine. It was actually better. It was actually better. And she said, 
you know, the good thing is I'm not a general sending people to die, right? She just got context. She was like, they're asking us to cut a scene over lunch. (laughs) Right. We did it. Go back out. And it was just this kind of conversation. The crew is going to have a conversation with you, Jeff. The production design. Everybody's having this conversation with you. Um, And I'm so excited. Did you say 12 days, by the way? It's a 12-day shoot, yeah. I know. It's like eight pages a day. So a day but it's you know it's Woo! like most of those are at one location and you know i my dp's really confident that we're gonna be good it's a lot yeah, of if you're at one location that's possible that's possible. it's possible we're shooting it's it like true. tv you know it's like right. multi-cam with a lot of wonders and it's gonna and be good. Fun. three takes per scene so oh my god so yeah. fun so fun and quickly uh is that play john patrick shanley's four dog and a yes bone? it is Thank Great. you so much for helping me give him credit for his quote. You got it. For you, uh, Merrill nerds, you know, John Patrick Chanley wrote Doubt, in which she played that frustrated nun. So mm. he is a good, he's a great writer for sure. Great writer, amazing yes. writer. Hey everyone, so the new version of Final Draft, Final Draft 13, is out. And, you know, the question's going around, is it worth it? Is it worth it to buy or upgrade? And our answer is yes. So I recently got notes on a pilot, and I want to see how it works in my rewrite to move a couple of scenes. And usually what I do is, you know, cut and paste, uh, which works out sometimes, but mostly it means I lose text because I move so quickly. But the new version of Final Draft has this cool feature called Navigator 2.0 where you can actually just move scenes around right in your script. So without losing something, I can see what's working, what I'm missing, or what needs to be rewritten, or you know, if I have to lose the scene altogether. But it's really, really helpful. And what's most important to me about this is that I'm not losing anything. Woohoo! Yes. I am laying out a new project and I want to card it. And I can now do that inside of Final Draft. And it's now a super easy way. You can take those cards and then make them into an outline with a simple drag and drop. So it's just a great way to see the larger story that you're writing and get down the details, track characters. I just love it. And for our emerging writers, a great new feature is Final Draft lets you set writing goals like page count or timed writing sprints, which is super cool. So uh, we think the new version is really worth uh, investing in. So you can head over to finaldraft.com products to get the new version with a discount code of ScreenFD for 25% off. You should check it out. That's ScreenFD. S-C-R-E-E-N-F-D. Um, so Jeff, do you want to do the review part that we don't like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd love to, of course. All right, Brian Sanchez says, a must listen every week. I've learned so much from this show. The conversations are always centered around improving your story. Applying these notes to my own projects has helped me get over some of the biggest hurdles preventing me from finishing my screenplays and have really helped me improve the quality of my work. If that wasn't enough, the Screenwriting Life podcast will reassure you that your anxieties and insecurities when writing are shared by some of the best in the industry. Once you realize you're not alone, that's when the real work begins. Ooh, what a beautiful quote. Um, The fact that it's released on Sundays means I start my week with a great confidence booster and reassurance that you will have to do the work to get where you want to be. I've recommended it to every writer I know and will continue to do so. Huge thanks to Meg, Lorian, and Jeff for bringing us this amazing show. Um, The thing I love about that review is, first of all, like all of our listeners, you're a beautiful writer, Brian. So thanks for sending that in. But um, you're, I think the quote, once you realize you're not alone, that's when the real work begins is so true because like, like kind of releasing those anxieties and feeling like you're a part of 
all of us on this journey is really what can inspire you. So the fact that we're able to help you do that on the show means so much. And you told a friend about the show. In fact, you told all your friends about the show, which is great. So yes, that's, you know, shows like this. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I would like to add thanks to Jess as well. Yeah. She's a yes. big part of uh, making this show and uh, helping us create Yes, it. our intern, Jess. Yay, yeah. Jess. Yeah. Um, I had mentioned on the show last week, but the uh, beautifully curated episode that you all had with guest highlights, um, 95% of that episode was Jess. So thank you so much, Jess. And uh, this next review is by Skeptical Heptical, which is a wonderful name, who says, uh, this is my favorite new podcast. I only just started listening last week, but wow, hearing Megan Lorian talk is so inspiring and reassuring. They go far beyond just screenwriting advice, although the advice they do offer is worth its weight in gold and really dive into the roller coaster of emotions all writers face. As someone very early on in their career, listening has made me feel way more capable and excited about writing. Can't recommend this podcast enough. Um, so to both of you, Yay. thank you so much for writing thank in. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate it. And um, just so you know, um, we don't just read those because we like hearing them. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. I think all this kind of melt in a pile of um, whatever a therapist would say it means when we get compliments <laughs> and we don't like it. But um, the truth is the reason we read them is because we want to feature your writing on the air and because we want to encourage you to submit your own if you haven't yet. So, you know, if you're listening in the car right now or on a walk and you have had a moment where our show has really impacted your life or impacted your creative life or your project or your journey as a writer, it really helps us if you write a review because it bumps our show up in the algorithm and kind of helps us keep the lights on over here. So um, hop on Apple Podcasts, write us that review and you will hear it on air. Yes, thank you, everyone. All right, now the other great thing about our podcast is we have a Facebook page uh, that you all have been asking questions. So uh, we wanna answer some of your questions. Um, Lorian, should I go first? Sure. Just read one out here. Sure. All right, so Dan asked, which is generally more stressful and anxiety inducing, the screenwriting process or the screenwriting profession? How can writers protect themselves from the demands of making a living from their writing in order to be at their most creative and at and least stressed out as they write. I, I'm taking this to mean, uh, my interpretation of that is, if you're stressed out about making a living, how do you ever get that lava to come up? Because you're in, you know, stress mode. Um, well, Lorian, you're in stress <laughs> mode. And <laughs> my you're... answer was both, neither, yes and no. <laughs> okay, let's take that one at a time. Um, I think it's, you know, one thing at a time, make do finding out whatever strategies work to keep everything in order, finding out ways to alleviate your stress and then just creating the space. You have to like when it, when you're a professional screenwriter, you sort of just have to do it. You, you have to find the space to be creative. Um, I don't really know what the it's answer really is. It's really true because like you don't have, and I'm going to say the word luxury and I know nothing is a luxury, but the luxury of um, flipping out. <laughs> No, <laughs I mean, I have due. deadlines. Like, it's I have due. deadlines that are real and stressful and there's multiple checkpoints they have to go through. And diff you know, it's like scripts are due here for these people and due here for these people. And, you know, it's just, it has to keep going. Uh, I will say too, that um, for sure there is toxic stress and I don't ever want anybody to be in toxic stress. And if you're in toxic stress, you need to find a way to help yourself, get some self-care, whatever that is for yourself, mm -hmm. because that mm -hmm. is very hard to write through toxic stress. There's yes. a different kind of stress though, which actually some, the, when you're on deadline, 
and your left brain screaming, I don't know, like mine this morning, which is both happening. I'm on deadline and I didn't know, but look what happened. Like a really beautiful piece of writing arrived, meaning I used the stress to crack myself open. So you can think about stress as a negative thing or as something that is there to churn you up. You know what I mean? Like, again, it can burn you out. And there's toxic stress. And I'm not talking about that. Sometimes, like somebody said to me once that your nervous system doesn't know the difference between stress and excitement. It's the same pathways going off in your body. So if you're feeling stressed about money, can you put it aside enough to sit down and just write and take that stress and put it into the work, put it into, can you see it as excitement somehow, like put it into the work. And I know that sounds hard, but the more you do it, I just found some of the best writing I've done is under that deadline, is under that stress because I don't get to avoid it and fuck around. I just have to just write it. It just comes out. So it is, it can be stressful in terms of earn a living. I do know people who they only let themselves think about money and did that check come in or, you know, that kind of strategizing at certain times of the day, right? Like after five o'clock, I will worry about where's that check, blah, blah, blah. But before that, it's sacred writing time. Like you can divide the career strategizing into a different pot, if that, if that helps you, maybe only at your lunch hour. I wouldn't do it at the beginning of the day. That's just me because you could get lost in there <laughs> um, and go yeah. down that hole. But I would think that would be one way to, to think about I, the stress. I am, not, I am not successful at that. Like when I don't have a like clear job, I find it all tumbles in and I really have to sit down and make myself write. And it's only in the writing where I get lost and that stuff turns off, but I could sit here all day and spin about that. But if I make myself write, just sit down and get in the story. That's how I detach from that stuff. So it's, I can let it be like the snake eating its own tail. Right. Or I can just say like, I, this is the only escape pod I have is to get into the story And then, you know, and then I feel so good after I've written that part of that stress is alleviated a little because of like, oh, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm getting closer. So again, the answer is it's in the work. God, we just keep saying that. (laughs) I know. God dang it. All right. The next question is from Carrie. What are your thoughts on writing contests? Worth the entry fee? Question mark. What are the ones you recommend? Any other suggestions for exposure for emerging writers? Um, Here are the ones that I have had experience with, either I've mentored with, well, I've mentored with all of these. So the, and so I know them and I know that it is about, not about a money grab, that it is truly about exposure uh, to industry professionals. So of course the Academy Nichols, Um, you can apply also for the Academy Gold program, which doesn't mean you have to have won or even entered the Nichols. That's a whole separate mentorship called the Academy Gold. Um, Cinestory. Is fantastic because you go up on a mountain and you sit with the actual people, the actual producers and executives. Um, Screencraft, I've, we've mentored at. That's a huge, huge. Uh, there's a lot of people at that. At like it's like Austin, um, but there's a lot of great, really good panels. And I really respect the woman who's running Screencraft. Um, Austin uh, seems very good. I don't know what happens to the contest winners because I haven't been involved in that. Have you, anybody, been involved in what happens to the contest winners? I'll be going for the first time this year. I'm excited. We're excited. But I do think that's a great exposure. Sundance, obviously, I mean, they are looking for indie film features, so it's a little different, but and super, super hard to get even close. But why not? Try it. Um, You know, for me, the truth is it's a... 
it's a two-handed thing. One is I really love, I was watching on the Sprint um, Slack chain that some people are like, or like the person on the Facebook page, they're just putting in their very first script just to do it. Like sometimes just entering a contest is helpful for your brain because you did it. I'm trying to get my son to put his short film in to the Austin Film Festival and he keeps quote unquote forgetting the deadline. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> it's not about being chosen. It's about doing the submission. You've got to break through this perfection stress. So uh, enter, right? Uh, you never know what's going to happen. Like the, the wonderful young writer who got to the top 10% on a first script. That's amazing. Um, I don't think you have to win necessarily to have value in submitting to those high levels uh, projects. Of course, if you do, it's great. Um, it's also great I, practice to be told no. I mean, like yeah. that's a huge part of choosing this career. So like getting a rejection can be relief because someone acknowledged that the thing you did exists and someone read it and being told no is great practice because even in fact often the top writers in our business get told no so it's good practice every day every day yeah you, again this goes back to that validation thing right like if you're submitting in order to have some sort of validation and knighthood that you are a writer that is not what the contest is for that is not set up to do that it's not its purpose in the world right? It's not its purpose to convince you and tell you that you're okay and you're valuable and you're a writer. Unfortunately, that's not what it's doing. You can get some of that, of course, if you win, but you know, come on, that's, you, that's not what it's for, right? It's for, I, I went to the Sundance Lab assuming now I'm going to feel like I'm a writer and that didn't happen either. Like, so <laughs> like I still had all of the doubts and worries just came on the mountain with me and left on the mountain with me. Like it, it's you, right? Like you, whatever that is. I don't know. Like I know for short film contests, of course, you can ultimately find out what short film did win. So that also teaches you, right? Either what that contest is looking for because they may be looking for different things right and that your work doesn't necessarily fit into what they find valuable my sister's an art, fine artist and that's like a group show you have to be really careful like it's like you said Lauren it's not about you it's like it didn't fit in with the show I don't know if you can read the contest winners of like Nichols and all of these places but I think it would be a good thing uh, for someone to start out there if they want to because I think I think it would be a great resource for people mm -hmm. um, all right, um, the great thing about Nichols too okay. sorry just quickly is it, they have this exhaustive manual as to what they're looking for so there's a lot of, you know, they're looking for voice. They're looking for something. I don't remember exactly what it is, but it's actually a really interesting kind of metric system that the readers are given. I know Sheila Hanahan Taylor has, who is a yeah, yeah, past, sure, yeah. past guest. And readers are given a very specific action list of kind of what they're looking for when they read. So with that kind of resource and data, that's really helpful when you're entering contests as well and shows that a contest is reputable. All right. So um, Alex asks, in a post-corona world, fingers crossed, uh, does moving to LA need to be put back on the table? Um, if you're a TV writer, I feel like, uh, yes, you need to be in LA eventually because while the rooms are virtual right now, they are quickly going back to in-person and this is how you make connections and meet people at mixers or casually out, you know? Um, for features, I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, for features, I think that it can be either or. Like I was answering this question on the Facebook page and it really, you know, my first question to the questioner was, what's the dream? 
what is what kind of movies do you want to write? Do you want to write little rom-com streamer movies? Do you want to write for Marvel? In some ways, it doesn't matter because you're writing in your room, but it does matter because well, how big are we going? Like, like where do you do? What kind of community do you need? Um, but ultimately, for features, you're going to be in a room by yourself writing, whether that's in LA or in Nebraska. I live in LA as a feature writer. I'm in my room by myself. And before Zoom, I finally had to start a writer's group because I was like, I need to see people. Like I started a group just because it can, even in LA, it can get isolating. So it's really up to you and what you make of it. Um, if you move to LA, I do think there's more writers here. So it's easier to find people to start a group or, you know, et cetera. Like a lot of the kids who work at my coffee shop, I go to every day. One's a director, one's a screenwriter. One, like they're, like everybody's everywhere. So there's more, of, there is more people around you. And if that's what you're hungry for, right? If that's what you need to stay on the path, then move to LA and get it and find it, right? If you don't need that, it, but it's more about some, do I have to for a profession and you're not really hungry for that kind of mixing, then you don't, I don't think you have to, because the truth is, do you have a great script that's marketable and they can take it to market and it has your voice and it can break through the clutter? Great. That's what you need. And you're going to sit in your room and do that for a feature, right? Um, so mixing never hurts, right? But you can also go to Austin and um, and if you can't move to LA, you can go to Austin, you can go to ScreenCraft. I mean, there are ways to still create a community. And it's why we started this podcast. We started this podcast to find, create community for people no matter where you are. Um, okay. So Megan asked for an experienced but pre-WGA writer, is this a particularly bad time to send out new material and get representation? Would it be better to wait a couple of months until some of the backlog clears? How normal is it out there? I mean, my experience, and I will go ask my, my reps this question uh, because they're the only ones that can answer this and I'll post it on the Facebook page. But my sense is we are zooming back to normal. Like they, I mean, I just went and saw a friend's film uh, and he shot the whole thing during COVID. And this is for a studio. The whole thing was shot during COVID. So they were still going. So uh, I think if anything, they are getting more busy, um, but I don't know, a great script is a great script is a great script to me. So I, I don't, I think you just, if you're ready and you think your script is ready, go, go for it. That's I fine. Agree. But I don't know. What, what do you think, Lauren? No, I agree. It's, we, there's still COVID protocols in place, but you know, it's, we're going back to normal fast. Yeah. Fast. I haven't had an in-person meeting yet though, but mm -hmm. I feel like it's coming. I mean, I'll be going to set soon. So <laughs> I'll let you know. You're going from, you're going from COVID <laughs> zoom to set. That's yeah. quite a jump. Yeah. So that'll be exciting. I'll keep everyone updated on my face mask and face shield <laughs> look. Your COVID test up your nose. My COVID test every two days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it feels like there's this push to get it back. Yeah. Um, okay. Next question from John. As ever, how do older writers get representation? As an older writer who got representation, um, I think it's about the writing and being able to have a, a story, a narrative uh, that, you know, that a manager can sell. I do think too. Yes. And by older, and I mean like I'm 30, 40 something. 30s. 30s. Sure. Um, <laughs> uh, I got representation later in my career. Let's say that. 
um, as well. And I would say for both of our samples that got us reps, they were like, I'm going to say this, and I mean this in a good thing, like punch you in the face voice. Like you cannot ignore the voice that's coming out on this script, on both of these scripts on page one. Like I do think any, for any writer, you have to have that, but especially if you're later in your career, um, the, the level of grab you by the throat, as you say, Lorian, which I love, it has to be there. It just has to be there to get through the clutter. Um, that's for anybody, but especially for um, uh, people later in their careers. And I want to say sometimes I meet, and I'm not at all saying this is John at all, uh, but sometimes I go, like I went to Austin, the last time I was at Austin, and always, always there are multiple people who are there because they wrote one script because it's a passion project from a book that either their aunt wrote or they fell in love with and they got the rights, whatever, but it's one thing. That's a little different than saying you want representation as a writer, right? Because the intention is I want to get this made. Really what you need is a producer, right? right. Not a rep, not a rep. That's a totally different thing than I'm in my forties and I want to have a screenwriting career and I want to write multiple things. I want to write multiple movies, right? That's a career. You have to have multiple samples. You have to know what your widget is, right? Are you an action writer who can also do humor? Are you a, what are you as a widget, as a writer? What is your career? What are you going for? It's just different. And I, and, and, it, and if you can, and it's either is fine, by the way, it's just know what road you're on. And so that you're make sure you're directing what you need is really what you need. Right. Yeah. Um, and I do think, think when you're older, a manager or an agent is going to look at like, there's less of a ramp time for you. Right. They're not going to be able to spend the next four or five years developing you, hooking you up. It's like, you have to be able to ready to go now. They need a story. They need the scripts that work. They need to be able to sell you immediately. And, and, and that really is, brings up another idea I had, which is you also like it, but you have life experience now, right? So you have a hook that younger writers are not going to potentially have. They might, but they potentially won't have, which is I've been a lawyer for 12 years in this obscure legal thing that is actually amazing for a movie uh, or a TV show, or I was a doctor, or I was a stay-at-home mom, and I really know what it's like and can speak to that audience. What and is that your is life experience? We're yeah. looking, showrunners are looking for when they staff, yes. right? It's not just the script. It's not just the meeting. It's What's your experience? What's your story? What do you know? What unique thing can you bring, right? Is it being a lawyer in traffic court? That's interesting on some show, you know? Right. So you have a really story. And think about how you're lining that up with your samples, right? Like, okay, I'm not saying you have to pick a genre because you're a lawyer that's a legal show, but somewhere in that thing you wrote, your unique perspective on the world because you are a lawyer is so clearly there. You have been daring enough to talk about it that it does rise out of the cookie cutter stuff because you have life experience. And I remember my agent, when he took me on, he's like, that's why I'm taking you on. You're an adult who has life experience, right? Again, you can be a young writer, but you're going to have a longer ramp to get in. So I'm not at all telling, trying to tell younger writers you don't have that. And by the way, younger writers, you have tons of life experience. You just don't know it yet. <laughs> you have no perspective on it. Um, so I think that's, that's super important. Yeah, I think, and there's like a flip side to that too, which is I want to speak tactfully here because yes, as an older writer, there are some chips that are stacked against you, but I have seen it where writers will use it as an excuse for victim power. And they say, oh, of course I couldn't get that meeting or get staff to do this because I'm older. 
And I think while acknowledging that, yes, it is harder. And yes, there are shitty ageist biases in this industry that suck. Like you can't let that hold you back because then you're your only impediment. And instead, if you view your age as a superpower, like the way Megan Lorian are describing it, because really it is, then that can really help propel you and motivate you in a way that can set you ahead of a lot of the other people in your category who may be using that as an excuse for victim power and not making moves. You know, it might give you more of an opportunity to make moves. Yeah, and the problem with that victim power view is the only person you're hurting is yourself. And second, you're not learning by the passes. Yes, I would say whatever, 75%, it's just a widget and it didn't fit in with the widgety, right? Like it just didn't, like what 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 uh, what Lorian was describing. But sometimes if you keep getting passed on the same thing, you've got to go look at it. You've got to, you, you have to be your own agent, your own manager, your own objective person. You have to strategize yourself. Start giving it to people who you are close to and be like, what? Come on, come on now, really, what is it? And you might find out that you have inactive characters and no actor will play it because they want to create the movie. They want to want something or whatever. Beautiful writing, but ultimately it fizzles because the person isn't active, right? I'm just using that because of course I always use that because it's me, but um, <laughs> because that's what I do. And I'm going to see my brain, the agency question, right? So you have to be a student always, even if you're a pro making at the top of the game, you are a student of your own craft always. So to start getting whatever excuse you want to use, whatever excuse, might be real, might be stuff you have to deal with, but as well, look at your craft. Look, you know, if you're getting in only into the top 10% of, of these contests and you're never winning, either you're entering the wrong contests who don't appreciate what you're doing, or that script's not ready. Why? Right? And maybe it never will be because it wasn't meant to do that. It was meant to get you there. Write another one. Write another one. I can't tell you how many people I read or meet who are just sending the same thing in. That is not writing, people. You've got to write another script. you got to revise it and revise it and revise it. That's how you learn to be a writer. Okay, I'm off my, I'm off my high horse now. And the really <laughs> empowering thing, the last thing I'll say is I do think writing is the one corner of this business where we probably face the least ageism because if your script is good, it's great. Right, okay. They, they don't okay. care. They don't. I mean, and if you're, I'm, I hate, I'm sorry, we have actors who are listening. It's harder for you. If you're an older actress or actor without a ton of experience, there are roles for you, but it's going to be harder. If you're a producer without a ton of experience, they might view you in a certain way. Like you, I don't know, but if they read your sample, they don't care. If they think that sample could change the business or make a lot of money, they're, they're going to yeah, the guy, be The guy who wrote High School Musical was an older writer. Yeah. He, he does, they were like, oh my God, we, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, let's go. <laughs> Kids are going to love this. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just keep writing is the answer to that. And I know, John, I know, uh, I know it's, it's, I don't want to sound facile, but that is the truth. Okay. So Megan says, what do different jobs end up paying? How much do you get paid to be a writer in a writer's room? What might you expect if a pilot or a feature sells? What does it look like to sustain oneself on screenwriting alone? Like, Lorraine, you can certainly answer the question about rooms. I just want to say everybody, every, everybody who starts this starts with another job, right? They, they have a day job, right? Everybody I'm mentoring right now through Academy Gold or whatever, they have day jobs because that is the reality of it to get these samples up and ready, right? And eventually if TV, you're going to get and be a writer's assistant or whatever, don't think you're going to not have a day job because you are. 
right? And that is just the reality of it. If you're lucky enough to have a partner who can do, do it so that you can write, great. But um, the day job is, a, it's, a, it's, I would say, I don't know, Lauren, what do you think? It's a five to 10 year uh, process to get those samples, get them in the right hands, et cetera, et cetera, that you're really working the day job. But that's just my, and, and you know, what you're going to get is scale. That's what you're going to get. You're going to go look it up on the WGA site. If you, if you're starting out, odds are, even if you have an agent, you're getting scale plus 10% or whatever, right? Uh, because that's your young writer and that's how it works. And there's all kinds of different deals through the WGA, right? There's new media, there's, you know, and then there's IOTSI if you're doing an animation project with a lot of networks. So there's, it's a broad, broad spectrum. Part of it comes to, are you negotiating your own deal? Do you have a rep? Do you have a lawyer? You know, it's, it's all across the board. And it's, it's hard to answer that question, honestly, about like numbers. Um, minimums. Yeah, if you look at the WJ minimums, that's your baseline of yes, where you start. That's the baseline. But and I get that, this, you know, when I yeah. sold my first pilot, I, I was like, where do I, what am I expecting here? $5, a hundred million dollars. Like I had no perspective. It was baffling. Right. And then I dug into the WGA minimum. So I was like, oh, okay. There's a range. I can kind of expect this, but yeah, it's, it's, and it's like, okay. And then how do you spend that money? I think Jonathan Fernandez had such great advice, which is save your money. Don't go out and like buy a new house. Don't go right. out and buy a car. Right. Cause that has to last you until you sell the next thing. Right. Which can so, take a while. It can take yes. a while. And even if you get a staffing gig and you're like, great, I'm getting all this money every week. And then you don't get staffed again for two years. So, you know, yeah. it seems like a lot of money when you look at those numbers on the WGA minimums on the, was the MBA, yeah. but you know, you got to prepare. You got to prepare. All right, Jeff, you take the next one. Diana. Yeah, so this uh, question comes from Diana who asked, how do you put together a pitch deck? Do you have any tips for putting together a great pitch or things to avoid when putting together a deck? As a writer, how, how much do you want to focus on the visual component versus the storytelling? I think for general pitch questions, definitely check out part two of our Sheila Hanahan Taylor interview. I think we got into a ton of stuff there, but I thought it would be valuable chance for me to share some specifics about an actual deck because that's what I'm doing right now for the feature we're shooting this summer. I am, um, unfortunately, in our current iteration, I can't share the deck, but I did find out from the kind of the team I'm working with that once it's cut together, I can. So I will share it this fall so you all can see it. But in the meantime, what I'll do is I'm gonna screen share um, so Megan Lauren can see and just kind of go through the deck. So you all can kind of, I'll kind of just go by general pages, sort of what we're doing so you can get an idea. Um, to answer one of your questions, I think the visual component does matter a lot um, if you're putting a deck together. I hate to say that, but um, you know, I think producers are getting a lot of material and it's not so much that it has to look gorgeous or look pretty, but if you have photos that very clearly communicate the tone and thematic of your project, that's gonna very much help them when they're making decisions about possibly giving you money. Um, you know, the feature I'm shooting this summer is kind of a, it's R-rated, but I would say it's still like a late teen demographic driven coming of age dramedy. So the producer I was working with was like, we want big, beautiful photos of young people. Like that's what we want. You know, it's funny, it's a camping feature. So initially I had a lot of pictures of like the woods, um, but he was like, this is a horror movie. I'm seeing these pictures of the woods and I'm thinking you're putting together a horror film. I was film. thinking, I was like, <laughs> the camp silver, silver, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So like I'm showing Megan Lauren right now. Now it's like photos of young people laughing. And like, I think you kind of get a sense of what it is, even if you don't read a thing. 
Um, just in terms of things you want to hit, I think like specs, you know, the genre, how much it's going to cost. If you have a shooting schedule or possible ideas for locations, you can include that. If you have people tied to the project, you want to have like a story team and a producing team page. So, you know, if, especially if you even have a friend who's mentoring on the project um, or would take a producer title who has power in the business, being able to put their name or their photo in the deck can be really helpful. You'll want a log line. Um, and then I think character bios and character pages. And when you're putting together characters, if you can put together a quick idea of what their arc is in the film, something fast, just to kind of get the, the producers an idea of who they are. And then I think including references. Hey all, I had a slight audio issue here, so I'm just doing a quick pickup with my microphone. Um, what I'm mentioning here as I talk about character bios and character references is the fact that we used a photo of Molly from the film Booksmart, um, played by Beanie Feldstein. Um, this is for the kind of type A character who has it all together. Um, the reason we use Molly is because it's a recent film and kind of a modern reference, and Beanie Feldstein's star is rising very quickly in our business. And I'd initially had a photo of Tracy Flick from Election. Um, and of course, Tracy Flick is an iconic reference, um, but... You know, Election is a very kind of high-concept, genre-specific film, and I think it communicates sort of a dark satire element, which is not necessarily what we're doing in this feature. And it's an old reference, you know? It's one of Alexander Payne's first movies. It's a film from the 90s, and even though Tracy Flick is such an iconic character, and I do love Election, um, it kind of communicates something that's not necessarily tied to what we're doing, and the reference might feel a little tired if you're pulling back that far. Um, so just something to note as you're putting together your character bios for your deck. Um, themes are really important. So communicating to like the producers or your team what the film is really capital A about. Um, so without getting into too much detail, the film I'm putting together does deal with some mental health and some social media anxiety. Um, so in broad terms, I made sure to include those kinds of um, like notes uh, when I'm talking about themes. And then tone is really, really important. Um, you know, and I think tied to tone, we put together a mood board, um, which is not uncommon when you're pitching. Um, so other films, it doesn't necessarily have to be in the same format. So I have a couple films and a couple TV shows on my mood board that really, I think, just kind of communicate what we're trying to do. If you have location, you probably wouldn't have locations. This is an example of a different kind of deck because the film is already kind of put together. Um, but then comps is one last thing you'll want to kind of be thinking about. So you know, we're a micro budget feature. So we put together other micro budget comps. Um, and when you're talking about comps, you don't necessarily need to be talking about tonal comps. We've already done that with the mood board. We would be talking about movies or projects that have a similar budget or maybe distribution approach that you might be borrowing from as you kind of think about how you would be putting your movie together. So I feel like I just word vomited, but when the film is put together, I'll be able to share this deck so you all can see like what we did and hopefully that can at least give you a place to start. And two last things I'll say just for quick measure before we wrap up this topic. Um, if you're intimidated by the idea of putting together, you know, a necessarily beautiful deck, because as I mentioned, producers do like seeing something that's aesthetically pleasing and catches the eye. Um, hire a graphic designer. You know, there are lots of excited, creative people who would be interested in something like this. You can find them online or on Fiverr um, and just work with someone who would be excited about this, um, who has graphic design experience. You know, if you put the deck together, they can help you make it look great. And um, if you're listening to this episode, you know, later in the fall of 2021 or after, check the episode notes because it may be likely that by now I've added the deck in the description below or you might find it on our Facebook group, which you'll find out more about at the end of this episode.
And the deck is amazing. I can't wait for you all to see it. I'm I'm in. Where can I invest? It looks. I know great. this was <laughs> great. Amazing. It's a beautiful deck. The be- it's a really good. It's super what clear. Is- but you it's know, such I was a good th- note about the for, the camping and the woods, yeah. right? Oh, and like yeah. really focusing on like the character interaction, the vibe of it. The you vibe. know, I think that's such a good note. The tone, right? Sorry, right? Like if you had no, it's if you had to sell this, why are people going to tune in, right? Like right. what's going to make them lean forward? You know, what's going? I'm working with a director, and he's always like, "Is this scene going to make me lean forward? Am I leaning mm. forward, right?" And it's so it's always in my mind now. Am I leaning forward? Am I? And you know. You can lean forward for a horror movie, by the way, right? right? It's just, is that what you want them to lean forward for, right? Um, the other thing is, I know somebody who recently is a pro writer going after a huge, huge, huge movie, had a pitch take on it, and they thought the movie, they were interpreting it as small. Hmm. So he and the producers cut together a trailer, right? So we talked about this, where you cut, you take other bits of other movies, and suddenly, literally, I saw the trailer who helped him as a friend develop the story. And I was like, oh, my God, this is huge. <laughs> like, I it was so good. He did it so well that the movie was so clear in terms of the size and scope of what he could do with this concept that he had that it it, it, it was night and day, night and day. So there can be re- in the pitch stage to help them understand the movie you're trying to get to is really good. Um, you know, if you have a script, they're going to say, why aren't I just reading the script, right? So what we're talking about is a pitch deck, something when you're pitching, right? And a lot of emerging writers, you are not going to be pitching. You need to learn how to pitch, but you got to write the scripts, right? Because yes. they don't know that you could execute. But um, I love but that I will deck. Say, That's amazing. Oh, thanks, guys. But it can be helpful to have that deck um, because sometimes producers will want to see something before they read. So like, you okay, can well, go, that's good. Yeah. You can go to them and be like, hey, I'm putting this project together. I attached a deck. If you're interested in seeing the script, I'd love to send it your way. And then what's nice is if they can see all the pretty pictures and they like what they see, you can send the script. I hate to sound cynical in that way, but- No, but listen, let's just be practical. Producers have literally, well, if they were physicalized, a pile on their desk that you can't even believe. And those, who knows if this is any good scripts get moved to the bottom constantly because new other things are coming in from agencies or whatever. And it's not that they're bad people, but they're busy versus- this kind of interesting, quirky picture book came in and you can look at that in two seconds and go, I like this, I don't, right? And they, they get to take it off their list or they get to, oh, now I really want to read this. I think it's great. Super, super smart. Super I will smart. say uh, this applies to staffing because I was reading people's bios. Tell me a story in your bio. <laughs> don't so just important. list your credits yeah. because I want to know who you are, right? Like- um, and that was what would draw me in like, oh, I want to read there. I'm going to make time to read this script. You know, it's like a, it's like a word deck, I guess. but yeah, your bio is important. Tell me the story of who you are, why you're right for the show. Why and that you your together. tone of voice is in the bio. Yes, absolutely. It's not which just is, a list. And all the way, don't, please don't start with, I was born here and I went to no, school no, no, here no, no, no. because no. nobody cares about that. That's no. like the very last line of your bio. You start in reverse, the most recent thing, the most fancy schmancy fun thing. Yes. So, I mean, that was what would draw me in. Like, I didn't have time to read all the scripts that were submitted. So I was just like, who is this person? Okay. Yes. Them. Okay. Yeah. Like those were on top of my pile. So anyway, just a little hint. Um, Meg, this question is for you. How many scripts, it comes from Chris, how many scripts should you have ready to go before getting out there and where should you go with them? So how many scripts should you have? Minimum two, if not three. 
minimum. And by the way, those are not first drafts. Those are not second drafts. Those are not third drafts. Those are not fourth drafts. Those are like eighth drafts. And you've gotten notes in between and you've worked them and worked them and worked them. And people are saying to you, this is great. I love this. I love this. That's when you're ready to go. Um, and what you should do with them at first, I do think these contests that we talked about are a good thing to go, handing them to people to read because I do have people say, I know, I know, but you really should read this, right? When I was a producer, you would get somebody saying, I know you get a lot of these, I get a lot of them, but this is somebody special. That means something, right? This, this script is something special. So um, yeah, that's the answer to that. Uh, Kate, what do you send producers, execs, et cetera, early in the development process? How polished do, um, do you do your material? So the script or the outline, how, how polished does it need to be before you send them to your creative collaborators who are paying you? Um, she is torn between perfectionism and maybe being too collaborative. All I can say is I have this question every single time. Um, you did mention, Kate, that you know my answer is going to be it depends on who you're working with, which of course it does. Um, I, I tell my, the projects I'm on, I generally tell them right up front, I'm collaborative. I really like to give you rough stuff because if the big pieces don't work, there's no point in me polishing dialogue. And I quickly find out who likes that and who doesn't, right? It scares the crap out of some people and they really don't want you to do that. And other people love it. And by the way, it can be the producer who really doesn't want to do that, but his underling, meaning his development executive really does. And so do it with the development executive, whatever, right? Um, the director really wants to, but he's too busy or whatever. So I tend to tell people my process, ask them what their process is. I do not think there's any point in making something perfect because it is going to blow up. <laughs> and you make it, it an is. answer where somebody says, oh yes, I'm collaborative. And then you share it and you quickly realize not in the same way. Yes. You kept course correct. <laughs> Generally in features, they expect you to have gone through many drafts yourself, and then you're going to do a producer's draft. I'm not even, the WJ hates that, but you are. Um, and uh, I, I like it because when you go into a studio now, they want a movie. It, when I first came to LA, they didn't. They expected a first draft. They knew what a first draft was. Those studio executives wanted to work with you. My experience now is they want a movie. So what's a movie? It's that core stuff that my director was very excited because from the outline, he could say, this is a movie, right? So they want that core stuff, right? What is this about thematically? Who's the audience? What's the marketing? Not that you have to know that, but you know that the genre, the widget that you're doing, what is this? What are we leaning in for, right? And then that character arc, she starts here and ends here. This is how the supporting characters work. This is the main relationship. These are the set pieces, right? I make sure I have all of that at least clear in that draft. Um, and that doesn't mean, you know, I might give it to some people like my husband or whoever, because I need in, you know, quiet and, you know, give me feedback. I've lost, I, I, I can't see it anymore. So the answer to me is I do a lot of work, but I don't worry about perfection and lines. I do the deep work, deep, deep, deep work. So that what you're handing them uh, has the big boulders in there and they can say, this is a movie. Um, now, what do you say for TV, Lorian, in terms of that kind of stuff? I It has to be, if I'm sending my script out to like attach a producer or to, to like, I, it has to be the version that is the version that I would think that I agree is amazing, that my trusted readers say, that my reps say, like, 
that's the version I can defend and stand behind. And of course I'm open for notes and feedback from a producer to collaborate with them, but it has to be the version. So good, so polished. I mean, you guys were all with me while I was writing that one version, that one script, right? And I've sent it out and I've gotten some great feedback. And one producer came back and said, have you considered this angle? So I'm gonna talk to her about that, right? Like, how does this fit in? Is this something that, you know, just a conversation about it to see if like, I can tell the truth in that story and consider that angle. Um, But still, if I pursued that, it would still have to be the version I wanna see on TV. Right. And it's also, it also in features I'm realizing is very personal. Like I like I know I've heard that Scott Frank really likes every single, it, this is the script. Like he, and he will even be late. I heard if, it, if, if he need to get it there. Right. It's not my process. Right. Because if the director or the producer does not like where the end of the movie ends up, like, I want to know that, like before mm-hmm. I spend three more months mucking around with it, like, do you like this end? Is this, I love it. I think it kicks ass, but if, if it doesn't work, right? You don't want her to do that. Wow. Let's, let's talk about that right now, because that means we actually maybe don't even see the same movie. Right. So, right. um, and 30 pages is a little different than, um, 110. Right. Right. Exactly. And like the scope of the story and, you know, and an original pilot is, you know, setting up a ton, but you know, it's easier to adjust, I think when you're writing mm-hmm. a pilot yeah. than in a feature. Yeah. Uh, All right. this next question is super quick, which is, uh, Anja, tips for writing the cleanest, tightest first draft possible so that revisions feel like smoothing out a rug and not stitching it together from patchwork. And my answer is that's impossible. Not possible. It's just not possible. And it's art. It's art. And art takes iteration. It just does. It was, it, you know, go look at Picasso's sketches, go look at any artist's sketches and how many sketches they do for one painting. And then when they're sometimes, when they're um, restoring them, they find whole other paintings underneath the painting because they changed the whole thing halfway through. Like this, you are in a conversation with something larger than you, it is a process. And I think that underneath here could be, could be uh, this question of value again right? That somehow this draft is you and your value and your right to be a writer. And I, if this podcast does nothing else other than dispel that myth, I will be happy. It is not connected. As a matter of fact, it's why you're going to quit being a writer because you think it is connected. I have sat in the room with multiple Academy actors, directors, producers, directors, everything. They all write first drafts that don't work. Actors are, you give it to an actor and they blow it up 15 drafts in. Like everybody knows it's a process. It, it is not your value. You can't, this, there's no such thing as this fairy tale first draft. I Sorry. love the idea, the metaphor of the painting under the painting, um, because that's how my script, the one I'm have that I'm sort of quote done, um, because the where it started out when I was like, this is it. And where it is now, it's like thematically it's there, but like character relationships, character, who I was talking about, what I was, how I was talking about it all so, so much change. I mean, still fundamentally about the same thing, but like, it's so different to me, <laughs> you know? Um, and each step of the way, I felt like this is it. And then I'd get notes and be like, that wasn't it, <laughs> you know? So. It's, yeah, 
I would like, I love this fantasy version of just sitting down and writing out the beautiful thing. I mean, listen, puke drafts can be great and you might think they're amazing and special and they are. And then you're going to rewrite it a lot and you're yeah. going to find a whole other movie or the layers are going to start coming because you don't even realize it's not layered yet because your yeah. brain doesn't even know it yet. So um, I'm not saying you have to enjoy that, but it is, <laughs> that's the process. That is the process. Um, I know that Danny had a question that I wanted to get to about beginnings and how do you grab people in the first 10 minutes? Because we did mention this in terms of um, something that you need to do. So I thought we should take quick, take the time because we have more questions than we're going to have time to answer uh, in this round. What would you say, Lorian, is how you do that? Uh, well, I don't know how you do it. I can, the feature I wrote that's based on a book um, on page three, she stabs someone in the neck with a pencil. That gets your attention, I think. Right. <laughs> you know, so don't don't do that. Like, don't have someone stab someone if that if that's who she is as a character, right? So I think it's finding the thing that makes somebody um, you can't stop reading. You what happens next, right? Right. Um, is that what the question is? Yes. No. Did I answer I, that the right yeah, way? You did. No, there's no right. <laughs> um, I think that's totally right. I mean, you're grabbing them with what the hell is happening? What is going on? You're like, you're making them lean in like, what? I didn't. And I think that a lot of time that's a character in a situation of wanting. I'm sorry, but it is. The want is already right there in the first scene, right? Often relationship is already starting. They're in relationship to somebody and I'm interested in the relationship, there's a narrative question coming up or are they going to get it? Like it might just be, are they going to get it or in that scene or it could be larger. Um, your voice and how you're visually opening something is kind of a bit off and left. Now that grab them by the throat, it might not be in the first page, right? But I'm going to give you a page, you know, but by the second, third, by the end of that first scene, you're like, what? Or in, a, in the best possible way. Okay, there's what? Like, I don't understand this. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, oh my God, what's going on, right? So in the spec pilot I wrote that I got uh, Marvel's attention, it just, just seems like a normal backyard barbecue, younger woman, older man, or a couple and married. And um, it seems very normal. And then he takes her home and he puts um, manacles on her wrists and her feet and locks her in the closet. And he says, you did very well today. And you're like, what is happening? Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, I, the, and like everybody's like, what happens next? I have to know what happens next. What is going on? What What is going on? It doesn't mean your movie can't be quiet. I, the, the, the passion project I have right now is starting super quiet and I'm a little worried about it. So right now I have a very active scene where she's incredibly active because the rest of the pilot, she's gonna go quiet. That makes sense. Like I took a scene from later in the pilot in which she is yelling and screaming and basically telling everybody to fuck off. Right. And she's fighting the guy physically and she's pushing him out of her house. Right. And then he's screaming at her and she slams the door on him. And then it says eight months earlier. And now she's a different person mm -hmm. and she's super quiet and super obedient. And it's like, now the narrative question becomes, wait a minute, how did she turn into that? Now there's a narrative question. No, that's Raging Bull, right? Raging Bull starts with an old, you know, starts with this old fat guy talking about when he was a contender. And you're like, how did that beautiful Robert De Niro young man turn into that, right? It creates a narrative question. And often when you have a super quiet character, you have to show me what's going on inside, right? That's just, just you don't have to. 
that's a, that's one of the things I do narratively. So I think want relationship, narrative plot question of what's going on, what's happening. You hook them, you hook them. So I have to keep reading. It doesn't well, have to the be Andrew, The Andrew Stanton litmus test of how do you make me fucking love your character, right? Right. I mean, if we can do it in three pages, they're going to keep reading. So yeah. I fucking love this person. Yeah. 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 I think that's, that's a great just baseline. Cause sometimes I love them in my head and then I read the pages and I'm like, that's not, they're not there yet. You were close, but just like- have them stab someone with a pencil. It's fine. There it is. Every, <laughs> every script, no matter what. I think that was originally how um, Minari, I don't know if you guys saw that movie. That's how it actually started was, no, I'm just kidding. It's very stupid. <laughs> I'm like, what? All right, guys, I know we didn't get to everybody's questions today. Uh, so we are keeping them in our archive and we're going to do an episode number two. So thanks everyone uh, for listening to the Screenwriting Live today. And make sure to join our Facebook group where amazing conversations are happening and we're answering some of those questions now and writers groups are forming and you can find support. And remember, you are not alone and keep writing. Thanks for tuning in to the Screenwriting Life. We love our community and we want to get to know you even better. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash the screenwriting life or email us at the screenwriting life at gmail.com to have your question considered for the show. You can also suggest topics by emailing us there. Also, we'd love for you to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if we don't read your review on air, trust me, we have read it. And not only does it mean the world to us, but it helps other people find the show. We've always been driven by mission and mentorship and reviewing our show helps expand that mission. And of course, until next Sunday, happy writing.